0: I was pleased to see you smile at
2: the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out
3: there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker
2: Film Room Podcast. <laughs> do you laugh at the length of the what's up, Darius? No, I laugh in the context of the contrast between whatever was happening before we got on and then how you actually do the intro.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, so right we
2: talking. So right now we were very <laughs> animated beforehand. And then Pete comes in with, What's up, Lakers fans? And it's just like, No, that wasn't the vibe. That wasn't the vibe that we were just on literally 15 oh, seconds ago.
3: I was about to get back on that vibe. Anyways, so Wire, go ahead. Blue Wire Podcast Network, Darius Mike, yada, yada, yada. Yes. That game freaking sucked. And that's the most annoyed I've been with the team in a while. A few times a season, every team will play a game that illustrates most or all of their worst attributes. And that was one of those games, whether it was. I was mad about the personnel. I was mad about the coaching. I was mad about the just general attitude and mentality on the floor. Um, And so I went back and rewatched the game. Usually that is something that calms me down a little bit. It just made me more irritated. Darius, we've had some bad losses this season and... Many of the others, there is a certain degree of context to it, and you've heard it on this pot throughout the year of us giving that to between the injuries and just certain like, yeah, Melo played 38 minutes last night. And of course, he's going to go four for 14 the next night. Right. Just certain things where it's like, yes, that's a bad team. We shouldn't be losing to them. There's also just a lot of odd circumstances going on. This was not one of those games. We had two days off. We have enough guys to play better that we beat this team just a few games ago. There's not some degree of like, oh, it was this or it was that. What it was, was a lot of what is actually bad about this team. And I've been trying to encourage people to help see the good in this team because I do think that There is more good obscured by circumstances, our our current circumstances, than there's been bad obscured. But there is bad. And I thought this game in particular illustrated just a lot of of what's bad about this team. Amen.
2: Amen. So I was not as vitriolic, angry, or frustrated with the game last night. I was much more... um, I don't know, like this is what happened and it's frustrating and this is sort of just how things went. Um, I also got, I don't want to say defensive, but I, like I saw a lot of piling on in a particular direction for the results of the game. And whenever I see that, like just there's a little bit of context for me, a guy who's been writing about the team since, I don't know, man, 2007, 2008. So I've been doing this a long time. My instinct is to sort of like circle the wagons a little bit, like this is my family and you're sort of attacking them. So when fans get too over the top and too frothy at the mouth, like a part of me wants to say, well, all right, well, hold on, guys, like like it's not that bad. And so for me, I did get a little bit like, oh, let's actually talk about the context of this. And that removed some of the anger for me. Right. But in the big picture, yes, Pete, like the only contextual thing that I thought actually mattered this past game was like the Lakers did not have Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony had played in every game to this point, and he is actually a critical figure within some of the lineups that work for the Lakers. But beyond that, the Lakers did have enough. And I thought that some of the biggest warts and flaws they have as individuals and as a collective were on display in this game against the Kings. So
3: that's one of the things though is like Carmelo
2: Anthony shouldn't be yes. that important to this team.
3: And obviously AD takes up 36 front court minutes. Sure. And that's a big th- But but like the it, Kings were missing Rashawn but, but Holmes.
2: Like, like right, the no, game. But,
3: but no, this is this is about us. What I'm saying yeah. is every time we're missing a forward. If we're missing a forward, there's like a critical failure at some point of the game where it's like I'm watching. Six, I'm watching four guys like six five and under, and LeBron watch a bunch of six eight six nine dudes around the basket shooting floaters and getting putbacks and just like seventy points in the paint for the Kings last night. Fifty five percent from the field. The the Carmelo Anthony thing. We did miss Melo, but the point is that like the forward position. Is so thin that when one guy, when one guy goes out, it gets to the point where it's like, yo, we're, we're missing just like a basic basketball thing. That's part of the reason why Stanley Johnson has been helpful is it's like, yeah, you're a guy that's on the fringes of of the NBA trying to find your, your niche, but the things that you do are so needed on this team that it's, he's a breath of fresh air every time he's on the floor for, for me. But it speaks to that, that idea. It's like,
2: why are we so dependent on Carmelo Anthony? Mike. You were there. And so me and Pete always talk about this, that we love getting the perspective of someone who was in the building and someone who was seeing this from a different vantage point than we do from our couch with the different replay angles. And I know you get some of those, too. But the idea of, I think, body language and tone of voice and all of this other stuff is much more apparent to someone who is watching it from your vantage point rather than from ours. I'd love to just get your general thoughts about what you thought about the game last night and and sort of wh- whether or not this plays into this bigger idea that me and Pete have been poking at or whether for you it was more of a one-off or or you don't even have to speak to your frustrations, but, but just your perspective about the entire thing.
4: So there's two separate thoughts, and the first one is about the small lineup with LeBron at the five that I, I want to save for a little bit and just talk about the vibe and the morale and i would say that it it was probably at a low point for a couple of reasons and the first one is sure Melo was out but ultimately this is not a game where they had the built-in excuse that they've had for basically every loss that they've had all season whether it was no lebron or no ad or um COVID absences or frank vogel wasn't there or it was a back to back, or some some kind of thing like that. The the opposing team was actually really good. Whatever. In this case, this was a team that the Lakers absolutely know how to play. Sure, they were a little different. They started Metu uh, at at the center spot, and he actually hurt them uh, a lot there. And they so they were kind of small too. But you know they built this lead by playing pretty well in the first half and getting a couple of like Malik Monk got red hot. He started four for four from three. You know LeBron was cooking a little bit early. Stanley Johnson hit two threes. In the first half, a little bit of found money. Tht hit a couple of tough shots. Austin Reeves was hitting everything, so they they were getting some stuff that you wouldn't necessarily always depend on, but nonetheless had built a lead and were playing pretty well. But they they let down in moments where that shows some level of fatigue uh, that that is worrisome to happen on this kind of a game and in this kind of a moment with the day rest with the team that you know and that's the part where you're now getting into this this schedule for the next week or two and really really the next couple of months that is going to get increasingly tougher and if it's this difficult to summon that type of energy that's needed to close out a team that that isn't that good even if they're playing a little bit above their skates and they're excited to play the lakers and they don't like the fact that there's laker fans in the arena as usual that that part of it i think all contributed to the post game and, and really just during the game, this feeling, um, and that was on the plane too. And the one, ironically the one guy who wasn't down after the game was Westbrook. And so there's something yeah. that could be taken out of that perhaps. And, and we can save that for later, but what I want to kind of kick back to you guys is the the connection point. If there is one between some of the fatigue that we saw and some of what they've been doing with this small lineup that other teams now have sort of scouted. And it's it's more like ideally this is more of a a small part of what the Lakers do. This LeBron at the five spot. And it's yeah,
3: it's supposed to be 12 minutes a game yeah. or so. Yeah. And
4: it's not right. And so teams are just hammering the ball down the court, especially in transition. And the rim protection from LeBron has not been there. Uh, and, and again, I'm almost wondering how could it be based on all the stuff that he's had to do? Like AD got tired doing that thing. LeBron started out awesome in that spot. And I'm talking more about defensively. And now I think that that might be contributing to some fatigue from LeBron. Um, And and all of these things, to me, have a connection point that is problematic, given where the Lakers are in the standings uh, compared to compared to where they, you know, they might have been had things been different.
3: Yeah, there are a couple of things there that uh, I want to hit on between the vibe of the team and its defensive capabilities. Let's take a quick break and when we come back. I think all of those things are tied together.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
3: to me, the greatest threat the team faces in the short term right now is our, our tests of their resolve, uh, the ability to get through this and stay unified and not uh, and not fracture, especially as the as the schedule gets more difficult. Hopefully a D and none come back soon, right That's something that we have we don't have a determined or we don't have a date on that at the moment, but if it felt like a low point. To you, Mike, uh, on the plane, whether it was on the on the grounds, and that's why things like that matter. That's something that uh, you know. I mentioned the comment that Russ said in yesterday's pod after the post game presser, which again was way different than his vibe after the post game or after the game last night. Uh, those are the types of things where we're we have to get through. I think a Nadir, like, and one last one, knock on wood, if we can stay healthy, um, and persevere throughout that if we don't believe and if we don't feel a part of, if the guys aren't connected and you're small, that's a bad combination. And that's something that with respect to the defense, I want to talk about the personnel scheme and mentality is mentioned yesterday, like it's hard to be lazy on defense and small, right? Like you can be, if you're big, you're still big, right? If it's DeAndre Jordan, for example, earlier in the year, if somebody drove at DeAndre Jordan, like drove right toward the basket and he was standing there, he'd be like, oh yeah, I I can still block that. I can still get to that. That's no problem. And so you're still able to protect the rim. Darius, we are small, not just at the five spot with LeBron. Malik Monk is a small guard. Avery Bradley is a very small three, which is essentially where we've been playing him, although we've had him at at the point of attack we started Ariza for like 90 seconds and then, and Ariza has been rough and uh and then put Stanley Johnson in and Stanley Johnson is a small four. He, he's, he's more of a three size wise, like
2: at least. Uh, and, and they've got him playing center in a lot of these lineups, Pete, because mm-hmm. they're trying to save LeBron's legs, I think a little bit by not having them have to guard the biggest guy that's Ex- on the court.
3: Exactly. But typically when you have a small ball group what that means is that the five is small, but you've got several several similarly sized players. You make up for that size and that that lack of height at other positions, right? So maybe you're small at the five, but you got a tall wing at the three. or And, and so it's being small at every spot right now that I think is really hurting us. And then al- along with the schemes, I'll, I'll get into that later, but the schemes are funneling players into these small people. The Kings have De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton, I think, is leading the NBA in three point shooting percentage over the last, like since early December. He's shooting something like 43% on his pull up threes. So we decided to guard him, not entirely, but a little more the way that we would guard, like Damian Lillard. We want to show higher on those ball screens. Makes perfect sense. But the problem was we were doing that on De'Aaron Fox, too. And De'Aaron Fox is a speed guard without much of a pull up jumper. You worry about him getting by, blowing by guys. And time and time again, it was. Ariza showing too high, Dwight showing too high, they'd get blown past, or it's transition. And he's like, Oh, I got Malik Monk in space because all they're, they're all spread out. Vogel mentioned that our shell was too loose. That's what that means is that we're not like compact enough as a defense. And he's like, Oh, I got Malik Monk isolated in space. Let's go. And so there's, this team has limitations, but there are also so many places where it's correctable. Like, why are we showing high on Deer and Fox type, type of thing, you know? And so, I went in a bunch of places on that, man. Take that where you want to go. No,
2: I just think those are all great, great points. Like, I did want to hit something that you said, Pete, but before that, I did want to get back to something that Mike was talking about and, like, the general fatigue of the team because I think that these things are all linked together, and I think that this is a point that you were trying to get to as well. Yeah, this is part of it, yep. Is that the asks of the defense do make you tired. We talked about this in the Memphis game. For example, the Lakers were showing high against Ja Morant, and they were trying to corral him at the point of attack in order to make him a passer. And Jaw was getting creative. He was kicking it to the wing. He was passing to the short roll, but he was getting out of that trouble without having to to really like lose the shape of their offense, right? Right. You didn't push him back to half court because you yes. trapped him and yeah. And so what that was leading to was the Lakers two, – two Lakers being at the ball and then one Laker having tag responsibility on the role, roll man, but also having recover responsibility all the way back to the three-point line.
3: Yeah, and it's so, a four-on-three at that point.
2: Yeah, but you're literally in the paint with responsibilities to get 20 feet away almost. And that's – those are effort plays. And the style that even you were describing here, Pete, is the what you're asking your five to do—LeBron, or Stanley Johnson, or Trevor Ariza, or Carmelo Anthony—in a lot of these situations is come up to a certain level at when their guy calls for a screen because ninety percent of the league is running like sixty percent pick and rolls now, if not a higher percentage of their offense, and. So there's a lot of, oh, I'm underneath the basket. Now I'm coming up to the foul line or the top of the key or the three-point line in order to Mm -hmm. defend someone. And now I'm dropping back and trying to contain. And now my rotation tells me to go back out to the wing. I don't know how many times, Mike, and this was evident from the TV angles. I don't know how many times I saw LeBron James be in a drop coverage. And then the ball gets swung. And he is basically making he is like I've talked about this comparison before, but he is like a gambler playing Texas hold Hold'em, And he's doing the calculations in his head about what the odds are on any given and play. And he sees, OK, that's Harrison Barnes out there. I kind of got to get out there to shoot that three. But he's not sprinting out there. You know why he's not sprinting? Because. That's a lot of effort. To yeah, yeah, he's he probably tired, and and so this is,
3: but this is why I've been so adamant about switching. It's easier, and we switched for a little while in that second quarter. And uh, anyway, sorry. From an ex- accidental no these, ty- yeah, from- these things tie together though. Like we're running guys into the ground, chasing guys over the top of screens. Like it's- the ability to just keep guys in front and, and influence toward jump shots. We've talked about that so much from the Lakers point of view on offense where defenses are like, Oh yeah, we're going to let these dudes shoot jumpers because they're a terror in the paint, but they can't really shoot. The, si- the same happens when we're on defense. We get to have, have those choices too. And so like when you fight over the top of screen, you're, taking away the jumper for the sake of funneling into the paint. But everything about who we are this year with the personnel that we have is – says, like, let's keep teams out of the paint. You you know what I mean? And so that – and that's before you even get into the fatigue factor of chasing guys around screens and fighting over the top expends
2: more energy. Those low man rotations, all of it expends more energy. So that's kind of where I am. It's like I don't think, A – I don't think Frank Vogel wants to switch every possession. In fact, like I've never had a conversation with Frank Vogel. I've never been in a room with him. You two have, I know Mike has, but my sense just from watching him for going on his third season now is he doesn't want to switch every Mm -hmm. possession.
3: And I'm not arguing every possession, but no, no, no bigger part of the diet.
2: Yeah. But I do think that, The variety in which the Lakers are showing, and they are showing variety in their defensive coverages, maybe not as much as some people would like, but I think they're showing variety, which is good. I think they need to be more more lenient in how much they allow the players to sort of like get into that zone where, yeah, switching is going to be better. For us, And the thing that I see as an issue, Mike, and and this is just my perspective, is that no matter what the Lakers do on either side of the ball, they're going to have some problems. They're going to have some issues that bubble up. And if the idea is, well, we want to contain as many of those as possible. And the way that we know how to do that is by running this specific style then i think that those are calculations that i'm worried aren't taking into account enough variables for my like from my perspective and, and so said said another way i think it's easier to say well we're just going to stick with what we do because if we do this other thing that's going to cause problems too and and then those are just other problems to fix and we're not as familiar with fixing those problems because that's not the stuff that We've taught our entire lives. Right. And I think there's merit in that. And and so I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find the bridge between it all. And it's one of the reasons why I think the team has missed Anthony Davis. He is a guy who can excel in these exact sort of coverages. He's the guy who can partner with with LeBron James and and both of them can play off of each other on the back line defensively in a way that truly is smothering for teams but what i see is that LeBron James and Trevor Ariza can't LeBron James and and Stan Stanley Johnson can but the lineups need to but they it needs to be against very specific opponents right and that LeBron and Carmelo can't. And then when you surround LeBron with just 4 6'5-ish dudes, they're going to get blitzed inside. They just are. And the calculations on what the team needs to do defensively is, I don't think they're necessarily doing as much as what they should be doing. And I think that that's reflective in the team's defensive rating fall, falling off since AD went down
4: well a a couple of points first of all the arkansas boys both being terrific and you know i I, the exception would be yes monk did get beat a couple times and targeted a couple times on defense like that's going to happen and especially in the perimeter especially against every team's got good guard so i'm not really punishing him that much for that
3: right if he has that kind of offensive game you can work i mean and, and
4: he you know he had two blocks like he's rebounding the ball he had seven rebounds he's giving effort so i was totally happy with monk reeves was amazing i thought right like he Man, was
3: terrific that kid on both ends of the unbelievable. Course. so that's yes. a great
4: sign uh johnson had some some good minutes dwight had some some good minutes especially in the first half but you know this is where we get to ariza struggling and he like he made some good plays he had three steals he made some good reads he cut to the basket one time for a finish but just movement wise like is he going to be able to get to a point where he can move his feet and stay with defenders and you know and get to open spots on offense even like that that is still something I think that's that's tricky and then as Russ explained himself after the game just not being able to hit a bleep shot you know when that's part of what puts the deep this kind of defense like the Lakers it's not that they weren't efficient at all but overall they were 43 percent Uh, From the field, we know that like Sacramento scoring easily, but part of that was happening because the Lakers kept missing um, open shots. And a lot of that was Russ missing in the paint. And then Russ is not a guy that can get back. LeBron's not at at this point of the season going to be the guy that's the first guy sprinting back in transition every time. So what does that leave you in transition? So it's not like all Russ's misses on offense this last little while, I think, have led to some of what's been happening with them getting scored on. Uh, in transition and that's just a huge problem that's just it's something that's uh, that's really difficult for them to make up for regardless of what they're running and how often they're dropping and how often they're switching like it's not a lot of last night wasn't wasn't necessarily just about half court uh like it was just the the kings ran down their absolute throats um, especially in the third quarter and so yeah it's it's all of the above but that's the part that you know, Russ clearly is still trying to figure out uh, what you know what to do with that and how and how to how to work within this this the current system.
3: Let's take a quick break. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk some Russ on the other side of this. It's only a kick,
2: a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans.
3: So we did a whole pod on Russ yesterday. If, uh, if you haven't caught that yet, give that one a listen because it provides some context. Um, what the, what you were describing there, that scenario is common from a speed attack player or from uh, a guy who, and what I mean by that is whenever there's that lane where he has to decide, Dennis was a similar type of driver in this respect. You have to decide when you're on the perimeter, I'm going to go. I have exactly enough time to decide to hit my foot, put my foot all the way down on the gas. And if I do that, I can get to the basket. But once you've made that decision, there's a kind of point of no return to that. What's so fascinating about Russ's game to me right now is that he is in this eight for 40, eight for 40 shooting slump over the last three games, I believe this 20%. Yeah,
4: no threes, no threes yet this month
3: yeah no threes yeah his like his jumper is gone he he's got no feel on his jumper. We talk a lot about legs and he's somebody who expends a lot of them. I think that there's a decent chance that he's feeling some of the impact of of the legs as well. that said, his jumper's gone, huge scoring slump, but while also turning the ball over uh, like barely at all i would I would challenge you to find another four game stretch of his career with where he's had as few turnovers as he's had over the last four What's and he got, I don't say- four. I think, I think four over the last four games. I think for games. the season, he averages 4.5 a game. Right. And it was over five for a decent amount. I don't say that to be like, oh, look over here. he's y- yeah. He did this so well. That's <laughs> yeah. not really my point. I do yeah. think that for much of that game, his – I'm sorry. I'm going so many directions in this pod. Uh, I look at players and how a player played through How is your floor game versus how well did you shoot. And sometimes – And part of how good your floor game is, is your shot selection. Like, should you have taken that shot in the first place? And if you missed it anyway, like, that's fine. Over the course of the season, like the habits that you want to, you want to build, like, that's, that's a good shot versus that's not. And so Russ has turned the dial back so much on his speed attacks. That the only thing that he has left are his power attacks. Those are the two ways that he attacks. I'm either faster than you or I'm stronger than you. That's why putting a bigger player with length on him, Mike, has always been the tried and true formula of like, well, you're not going to plow through this guy. We had him on Harrison Barnes. They had Harrison Barnes on him. When you do that, the only tool that Russell Westbrook has to beat Harrison Barnes is his speed. He's not going to overpower him the way that he would have guard if he had De'Aaron Fox on him or, or Halliburton on him. And so that's the only place where he's – and so it's it, it shuts off. And so it becomes this kind of philosophical question, though, of when you have more speed attacks, you create more of those situations that you described, Mike, right, where it's like – He's drove, driven all the way to the basket, but he missed the layup. Where does he end that play position-wise, Mike? By the cameraman, right? Because he's been going so fast that by the time he breaks down and he chops his feet to get – and usually like LeBron doesn't get it back on those plays either. Speed attack players generally don't because usually the play is over by that point. So all of these little decisions kind of influence. Like if we have Russ do that less, we'll – we give up fewer points in transition. These are all kind of on the menu of what the coaches have to have to gauge and, and Russ.
4: Yeah. And the, I think that, so I can't argue with any of that. And I think that when, whether it's Russ himself or his teammates or like fans watching somehow, some way, like Russ has to figure out a way to be more productive uh, on. And that's what he's trying to do. He's not for lack of trying. Right. Mm -hmm. So but when he's not able to do that uh, and he does go two for 14 uh, in in a game and and again, you mentioned what the splits are so far this year, like they're losing games in part because of that uh, in this in this interim. Mm -hmm. So there are whether whatever the solution is and I get it speed attack versus power attacks, but like it's just it's been that's been uh, that's been, I think, a big part of the difficulty and and something that there isn't the obvious answer for. Other than one I could pitch would just be LeBron finding a way to get Russ like LeBron himself, who can has always been able to get buckets for guys, maybe scoring less for a couple games and getting Russ going like LeBron's been scoring 30 every night. And it was, you know, it's and, and here, like this is where you're asking LeBron, who's been in this amazing offensive rhythm now to adjust what he's been doing. To try and figure out how to get Russ going, which is in its own right is a problem. But that's about the only thing that I haven't seen a ton of that, that I wonder if that
2: would do anything. I think you could do both. Jump in here, D. So here's the thing is, Pete, your explanations as to some of the struggles that Russ is having. That's the context to why some of these shots aren't falling. Yeah, like, that's how, I like, it's not even a judgment. It's just like, look,
3: no, if, you just don't like, want him to, if you want him to beat Harrison Barnes, he's going to have to do that. He's going to have to drive to the basket. And he's not doing it very much because he had like a nine turnover game the last time he did it. And so he's trying to dial something
2: back within him. He's, he's making adjustments within his own game. And I will say that the part that is being impacted the most is his finishing. His finishing has been poor, right? And yeah. it's just like, if he goes two two for 14 and nine of those shots are in the paint, yeah. And he's two for nine or one for nine in the paint. And he hit a bank shot yesterday, right? But it's just like you, at some point, you have to make the shots. Like, mm-hmm. so, like, and this is where, like, we can twist ourselves in the pretzels sometimes, trying to find the right path in order to get a player, in order to be successful. Russ, I don't think we're doing that with Russ. I think Russ is finding ways to get to spots on the floor where typically he would score. He is. He's getting to, to these spots. Are the shots a little bit more contested? Are they against a better or more physical defender? Are they, are they coming on plays where the circumstances are not as as ideal? Yes, all of those things are true. Right. The fact is, though, is that if Russell Westbrook, instead of going two for 14, goes six for 14. And still only shoots 50 percent on his shots at the basket. Right. So let's say he goes four for nine on his shots from from the basket and even goes five for 14. Then from the field, it is that is still a way more productive night for the Lakers. And I think that's where that's the middle of the Venn diagram between what Mike just said and what you just said. Yeah. And that's where, and, and especially Darius just
4: because he was one for seven in the paint. So like if the jump yes. shots are missing, yeah, you
2: can not have that. If the jump shots are
4: missing, at least he can get back like other guys can get back. But in, and especially against the Kings with how they can run like those six misses. I don't know how many of them we people I'm sure watch the tape, but like, I'm guessing they, a lot of them led to points.
3: So I I would rather in if they had to play the game over again and I could make the decision for Russ the shot pass decision for Russ on every time he did it the last couple games especially I would rather he shot the ball 8 times. I actually thought that so the finishing is a problem but it's like if you're trying to drive to the basket on a much bigger defender than you in a packed paint well against a team that's like very much trying to you know close that off you are going to be one for seven, yeah. especially if you're Russ Westbrook. You're, you're not yeah. really a good... LeBron was eight for 10. Right, and even... Sure, sure. But LeBron was all... LeBron shot like 12 threes. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and so LeBron, part of LeBron's eight for 10 is that the 10 come because it's like, oh, he chose to drove drive to the basket for the first time in five, six possessions. Whereas with Russ, like, since his jumper's not following, you you do the same thing every time to Russ and they're going to take that away. So for me, like, that idea... like. If his jumper is not falling, I'd rather not have him use up those shots. Drive right
2: into somebody, throw that pass back out onto the perimeter,
3: get them into the ro- rotation. Let's get a, a jumper for
2: Austin. Yes. You know, and this is where and I don't want to turn this into an entire another Russ pod. But this is why forgetting the Kings game and just forecasting towards towards the future. This is why Anthony Davis matters to me. Before the season started. I thought. Russell Westbrook, was going to really help Anthony Davis. I thought he was going to play with pace and get AD buckets. And like, oh, we saw what Russ was able to do for Daniel Gafford. Imagine what he's going to do for Anthony Davis. What I'm starting to realize is, is that Russ probably needs AD just as much, if not more, than AD needs Russ. Because AD is the dude who's in his prime. He's the dude who's going to get his 20 or 22 or 24 or on some nights 40 just because he's Anthony Davis and oh today the jumper's falling or today I'm just deciding yeah I guess what no one's better than me in the entire world at this thing called basketball and I'm just going to dominate the game he has that in him but Russ is no longer that dude he is no longer the guy who you can say yeah, go win the non-LeBron minutes with Taylor Horton Tucker as the second best player and three other minimum. And two of them are beat. like 6'5". Yeah.
4: To, to just place a point that I think we've all made, but i most recently heard Pete make within this, is AD also then on those rust drives, at least gives him some other option in theory to bail out or to like throw that late in lob gravity. or to like bounce it down. Which even Dwight isn't as, as great at getting at this stage of his career. Right? Where you can just kind of like, okay, here well, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to drive into the paint, but here, here, crash, boom, oh, there's AD. Like, that that's mm-hmm. not there
2: right now. Exactly. So, one of the things, and to sort of put a bow on maybe our entire conversation, because this is a pod where we could probably talk for another half an hour, and guess what? We're not going to Yeah, let's to not do that. that to Jeannie. Yeah. There are a certain amount of habits that the Lakers need to continue to hone. They were... Trending in the right direction by playing a bunch of bad teams. And then Memphis came and Memphis spanked them. And I thought, oh, the Kings would be a pretty good opportunity for them to sort of start to rebuild and reinforce the habits that were starting to trend upward against other bad teams. And the Lakers did that for maybe 18 minutes. That's the, the most first startling half. thing about the rewatch uh,
3: was I was so irritated at the end of that game that almost the entire first half, all up, all the way up to the last two minutes, I was like, I mean, we're making okay. some defense. We're not defending great, but no. there were, there were some flurries where we did defend well, and uh, and it was like, wow, we were actually playing pretty good basketball. They, they for- were
2: playing. They were ah, playing. It's, it's they were playing so all right there. Yeah, but
4: it's, the last two minutes is when it because and, and honestly, this is where it's like, I, mm-hmm. how could I criticize? lebron's decision but like he started to just take the long jump shots and no more entering the paint paint. yeah and then russ took a corner three without driving and then monk took one and so it you literally there were five laker shots all misses from three the Kings scored uh now they only converted two on the other end but nonetheless it, it changed the it just changed kind of the vibe and the momentum and then that's yeah anyway
2: well, at one point in the third quarter, too, Mike, the Kings had scored, I think, on like seven or nine straight possessions. It was nine straight. It, it mm-hmm. was, and the Lakers came out in the third quarter with a similar, like, oh, I'm allergic to the paint. I can't can't get close to that. Uh, like, oh, it's giving just me casting away. Yeah, it's, like it's giving me hives whenever I get too close. And they and that totally broke down whatever flow that they had going in the first half. And so this has been a very up and down season and the Lakers are 500 again now through 42 games and whatever two steps forward, two steps back nonsense this season has been, that is continuing it seems. And as Mike alluded to earlier, the schedule is only going to get more difficult and the opponents that they're going to face are going to be ready for them this is on tape now guys lebron james at the five this is no longer a change up pitch it's no longer at the counter it is their one pitch that they're going to for pretty much 80 percent of the games that they play in now and and 80 of those minutes there is a fortitude that the lakers are going to need to have and a resolve to bring it back to a word yeah. that you used earlier pete that is going to be the most important thing Yes. To me. X's and no stuff matter. And we'll <laughs> cover that, of course, on the Laker Film Room podcast. But what what I'll be watching is what is that vibe? What is that commitment? Me too. What is the togetherness of this group look like? Because AD will be back in the next two to three weeks, I would imagine. I would imagine. And I would expect none to be back dur- during that stretch too. Knock on wood, if everyone else is basically available within the context of the role players they're going to be as well positioned as they can be to go on a run but if you fray that's right before you even get to that point that's right you eliminate the possibility for for that you take that chance off of the table because you will not be together as a group enough in order to to make those strides and to walk in the same direction you will be too scattered at that point and, and that's what they need to fight against at this point to me
3: that makes this next couple of weeks stretch extremely important it's a very crucial part of the season we'll be back tomorrow to kind of look ahead and we got a matchup with the Denver Nuggets on Saturday we'll talk about them and a whole lot more here on the Laker Film Room Podcast
2: James has got it in low to McHale McHale wants to turn these double team just pass out of front broken up by Worthy Tip the magic Worthy dies on his back.
1: Yeah, the Lakers win the game! The
2: Lakers win the game! Three seconds
1: left. That next to the winner. It's on the way side! Tommy Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A
4: lot of Laker
0: fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me?
4: Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game.
2: Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell.
0: There's the, the move. Two, What's one. Missed it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over? It's over.
4: MyPatriotSupply.com